where we are just a few short hours away from spring practice beginning. We are so close to the 2023 season. What do we need to focus on or what questions should we have as LSU fans going into spring practice? All of that plus so much more on today's edition of Locked in LSU. You are Locked on LSU, your daily podcast on the LSU Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, thanks for making Locked On LSU your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, we are on YouTube as well. Check us out on the go. Check us out on your pod, preferred podcast platform. You can also find us on YouTube. My name is Caroline Fenton, and I am your host, as I am every day. You can find me on Twitter at Caroline Fenton one and I appreciate all for being here today and for making Locked on LSU your first listen every day. Spring practice starts on Thursday, and I've got a bunch of questions about this team today. I'm going to focus, focus on the defensive questions that I have. But before I get into all of that, I want to let you know that today's edition – of Locked On LSU is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. So let's get into it. Spring practice kicks off on Friday, and I view that as like, like a pseudo beginning of this season. Because right now, you know, before Thursday, before pre- spring practice, we are in the off season. We are in recruiting season. We're in transfer portal season. And really talk season extends all the way up to early September. But we're in talk season of rumors and this team's going to be the best or this is the most underrated team or this coach is on the hot seat. That's all the way up until September, until there actually is a football snapped on a real football field. And we hear, you know, Kirk um, Street's voice and Chris Fowler's voice on a Saturday in the fall. But it feels like once spring practice starts, we are just that much closer. So I want to focus on some of the questions I have about the defense getting into spring practice. On tomorrow's edition of Locked in LSU, I'll get into all of my offensive questions. Offensive line, receiver, quarterback, that's going to be huge. I'll get into all of those questions on tomorrow's podcast. Make sure to stay tuned for those. Today, let's focus on the defense. My first question for the defense is, who's filling B. Joe Gelari's spot at the Jack linebacker position? Who is going to be LSU's pure pass rusher in the 2023 season? And you're also losing Jaqueline Roy, and you're also losing Allie Gay. You're losing anchors on that defensive line. But I think the key thing here in terms of on and off the field production and leadership from B.J. Ojolari, those are really big shoes to fill. That's not an easy position to replace. So whose job is it going to be? And I think going into spring practice, you know, in tomorrow, you're not going to have that answer. On April 22nd, when LSU takes the field in Tiger Stadium for the spring game, you're not going to have that answer. But you're going to start to see these questions and their answers start to unfold a good bit. So you're not going to get the answer tomorrow. You're not going to get the question anytime soon. But you're going to start to see who starts to take reps with the first team who earns first-team reps, who is getting the most first-team reps, who looks the best. You've got a couple transfers that you're working with. Ovia Gufo, of course, the transfer from Texas, who also played with uh, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. He's transferring in. 
and could be a candidate to fill in that position. He has six career sacks in four seasons. Um, not the sexiest numbers in the world, considering B.J. Ojolari had five and a half last year alone. But considering all these transfers, you have to also have to keep in mind the numbers aren't going to be sexy because if there's a guy who has 15 sacks in a certain school, he's probably not going to transfer. And if that player is transferring, it's because he's going from a group of five to a power five or maybe a, a not as successful program to a more successful program. But look at Braden Swinson as well, the transfer from Oregon. He had three sacks, his three sacks in his career in three seasons. He had his best season two years ago. And his production dropped off a little bit this past year. And I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't watch a whole lot of Oregon football. I watched some. Shout out to Bo Nix. But I wasn't focusing on Braden Swinson and his usage. But I can only expect that, in just looking at the snap count, his snap count went down significantly. Was that a Braden Swinson problem? Was that a depth problem? It could be all of the above. But he is absolutely going to be in consideration to fill in that pure edge rusher, jack linebacker position. But it's not just guys coming in from the outside. It's also guys coming up within this program. I look at Savion Jones, a young guy who's got two years of experience behind him. He sat on the low on the depth chart and has worked his way back up. And I think we're going to see a whole lot more from Savion Jones this season than we've seen from him throughout his entire career so far. But is Savion Jones a pass rusher? Uh, that's what it has yet to to be determined. Is Savion Jones a pass rusher? Is he going to be more of your interior defensive line depth guy? I don't know. That's why we're asking that question going into spring ball, because we'll start to see that question answer itself through spring ball, spring practice, summer practices, so on and so forth. Also, like, I'm not counting this one out. If I had to put odds on it, I think I'd put it at like plus 1,500 odds that this player would be in the jack position. And that's no disrespect to the player, but more so, so much respect to the player that I don't think that he should be put into, in, like pigeonholed into one position. But that's Harold Perkins. I'm not counting him out to be a, a contributor really at any position within the linebackers. Harold Perkins is a hell of a pass rusher. We saw that this past year. Now, it wasn't at the jack position, obviously. Outside linebacker was B. Joe Gelari's position. But Harold Perkins was a hell of a pass rusher in a different capacity. So I'm not going to count out that Harold Perkins may take snaps at the jack position or at least Matt House's defensive creativity. The juices could start flowing to see how Harold Perkins could possibly evolve into that position. Now, like I said, I think he's just so talented and versatile that plugging him into a pure pass rush position might actually do yourself more harm than good because you're not unlocking his full potential. But I'm not counting it out as a possibility because Harold Perkins, like I said, I love a pass rusher. He also got a couple freshmen coming in that could be in consideration for the starting job. I've said it before, and I will say it again, as we're talking about depth and as we're talking about candidates for starting positions, never count out the freshmen. Four of LSU's most impactful players in 2022 were true freshmen. Harold Perkins, Will Campbell, Emery Jones, and Mason Taylor. All four huge contributors for LSU this past year as true freshmen. Was that a depth you know, choice, maybe? Or was that a choice just because those four were really good players? I think that both could be true. But I'm not counting out that Deshaun Womack, Jackson Howard, or Dylan Carpenter 
could be in consideration for the Jack position. If I had to pick one of the three that would be most likely, I would say most likely Deshaun Womack. And that's just based off of his recruiting profile, conversations that John Garcia Jr., of course, locked on an um, official recruiting insider and what he's had to say about Deshaun Womack. Um, But I would say, you know, look at all of these options, some with college football experience, some not, some that have been on the depth chart at LSU and have kind of worked their way up under Brian Kelly, some that haven't, but I think they all can be in consideration. And I think they're all going to be interesting things to watch and to follow as spring practice unfolds. But I've got a few more questions about the defense. I know you've got a bunch of questions about the defense, so let's discuss coming up next. But before we do that, I want to tell you about FanDuel Sportsbook. So the midway point of the NBA season is here finally, and it is now the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a new sweat, a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It is safe, it is secure, and it is super easy to use. And then you can bet on everything from the money line to the point scores and threes drained. And you can also bet on player props. So if you think that a certain player, let's say Jason Tatum, you think that Jason Tatum's going to drop 30 plus. You think on that same team, Marcus Smart's going to have 10 plus rebounds that the Celtics are just going to have themselves a day and you think they're going to win, well, you can group all of those bets together. Celtics money line, Jason Tatum over on the points, Marcus Smart over on the rebounds, and you can get a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Well, thanks again for making Locked On LSU your first listen every day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. Everything that you need to know about college basketball all in one place. Plus, you can hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked On College Basketball available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. So my second question about the defense. Number one, who's going to be the Jack linebacker? My second question is like a million questions all within this one category. And that is the corners. A a million question overarching question is corners question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, because that position group is a question in and of itself. Just listen to this out of the program. Jark Bernard Converse, seven banks who mysteriously entered the NFL draft. Makai Garner, Colby Richardson. And who do you have coming back? Who is your only returning corner on scholarship? LaTerrence Welch, sweet angel, soft, upcoming sophomore LaTerrence Welch, who has 12 games of experience. Not even starting experience, he's just seen the field in 12 games. He has such a small sample size of, of experience at this level. 
He has three tackles so far on the, on, in his career, and that has nothing to do with Terrence Welcher, his ability, but simply just you know, the depth at corner. So now we have all of these questions about the transfers. Overarching question is, can this cornerback room come together and gel as seamlessly as the cornerback room seemed to have last year? Now, I say it looked like it was a, a seamless union among these corners that all came in from different areas of college football. I know they were putting in some work behind the scenes, but they made it look seamless to my naked eye. For, as somebody who is an observer from the outside looking in, and as somebody who was so concerned about this cornerback room being cohesive and being a, a cohesive unit and group. And then they came out and looked the way that they did. Even week one, starting week one, they really looked solid. So can you do it again? Can you get a cornerback group that you have had to, for the second time in as many years, build via the transfer portal and pick up all of the pieces that you possibly could via the transfer portal? Can you can you take a guy from Texas A&M and from Syracuse and from Southeastern and, you know, all of the, the the transfer corners that LSU has picked up, Ohio State, another one, are you going to be able to make that unit come together for the second year in a row? It's hard to do. It really is. But we saw Matt House do it once. We saw Brian Kelly lead that fight once. I have confidence that they can do it again. But that's just completely based off of blind confidence and fandom. I have no idea, you know, what it takes for, for what it took for Matt House to, to do that this past season? Can they do it again? Is this a group that's going to be as responsive to coaching as the group last year was? I have no idea. But at this point, we can only hope. So that's my overarching question about the cornerback room as a whole. And getting more specific, one question I have is, can Denver Harris stay out of trouble? Maybe that's not a fair question to ask. Maybe that's not a fair assessment of Denver Harris. Maybe it's not fair of me at all. But so far in Denver Harris's very short-lived collegiate career, he's gotten himself in a lot of trouble. He was suspended for the first time for breaking team rules, which I think was just like a curfew thing. It was a one-game suspension. Not a big deal. You're young. You'll get suspended. Learn from it. Don't do it again. And then it was the locker room incident, which it was reported that they were smoking weed in the locker room at South Carolina. I wasn't there. I can't confirm that. But... That's a really massive accusation against Denver Harris. Denver Harris was, was suspended for over half of the games last year. He only was able to play in five of those games. But the point being, in those five games that he was eligible to play, he started in all five of those games as a true freshman. He was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. He was a five-star transfer or four-star transfer, however you look at it, you know, whatever, you know, recruiting, transfer portal, ranking site you might use. So those are really high expectations, and I think that it's because he's just that good. With all of the talent that was on Texas A&M's team last year, and you could say, oh, they only won five games. It wasn't that talented. We know how much talent was on that team. We do. We know how much talent was on that team. And Denver Harris, as a true freshman, was still starting in all of the games that he was eligible to start in. I think that that is a, a wonderful testament to his ability. But can you stay out of trouble while doing it? Can you, can you follow the rules? Can you get back where you need to be on time? Are you going to not do drugs in the locker room, allegedly? 
you know, that's that's one of my big questions because if Denver Harris is going to be one of the biggest pickups that LSU has gotten in the offseason, which is what I believe it was, one, because of his ability, and two, because of the position of need, I need you to be able to be on the field. Availability applies to injured players, and it also applies to players who haven't been able to stay on the field for any other reason, you know, disciplinary conduct included. I'm going to need Denver Harris to stay on the field and to stay out of trouble. But the cornerback position for the second year in a row, I think is fascinating. And I'm excited to see Matt House work his magic with that room. My next question is, what's the plan with Harold Perkins? I think that that LSU has such a, a, a wonderful gift with Harold Perkins because he has so many unique skills. And his versatility in and of itself is unique. He is so smart and he is so fast and he's also so big, you know, fast and big doesn't always come together in football. But you, when you find those really special big men that are so quick, and I mean quick meaning with their feet, you know, you are a speedy runner and also quick, quick with your mind, you know where you need to be. Because we saw Harold Perkins do that so many times this past season where he is so fast. Like he knows where the quarterback is going to be before the quarterback gets there. That's being quick both with your feet and with what's underneath your helmet. So we all know, you know, what value Harold Perkins brings to this football team. So what's the plan with the guy that is so versatile and that can fill in so many different roles? Last year, we saw Harold Perkins used best as a spy, a bit, you know, a quarterback spy where he kind of dropped back and then he could rush the passer. That's what he really truly did best. And Brian Kelly mentions, you know, after the Tennessee game, when, when Harold Perkins was sidelined for a majority of it, Brian Kelly explains why and kind of explains where Harold Perkins strengths really lied at that, at that point this past season. This was Brian Kelly on Harold Perkins. Perkins, look, as you guys know, we moved him to Sam Linebacker. Um, last week was not a position where, um, and you know the game, the game was a spread game. You got two receivers that are out on the numbers. Harold would have had to be standing out on the numbers playing the game as the Sam. We nickled out. So we were in a nickel situation. We would have had to change his position back to inside linebacker for that game. We weren't going to do that. Uh, this is a game that suits him really well. You'll see a lot of Harold Perkins this weekend. So kind of some technical talk there from Brian Kelly, but it's, this is what he's saying. Against Tennessee, when Brian Kelly says we nickeled out, that means they, they ran a nickel defense, meaning they had five defensive backs on the field, leaving you just two linebackers. And that I understand that defensive approach to a team like Tennessee this past year that was so pass heavy, that threw the deep ball, that had such a quick offense to spread out downfield to accommodate for the pass. So when you have when you nickel out like that, that only leaves you two linebackers, an outside and an inside guy. Of course, the Joe Gelari was your outside linebacker and inside. You hear Brian Kelly say we weren't going to change his position, meaning Harold Perkins to inside linebacker. That was more so kind of Micah Baskerville's role this past year. Inside linebacker, quote-unquote playing inside, is something that Brian Kelly said Harold Perkins still needed to work on this past year. It's a complex position. You know, you, you need to be able to read the quarterback very well. It's, it's just a, lo a lot more complex. Whereas when Harold Perkins could drop back and spy, 
your responsibilities or your, your reads aren't as complex or difficult to break down as they were as an inside linebacker. And, and that's no knock on Harold Perkins, but he was young. He was a true freshman. Not very many true freshmen would be expected to execute the duties of an inside linebacker. I still disagreed with the decision to not play Harold Perkins as much as they should have against Tennessee. I will always hold that against Brian Kelly, but they learned from it. So we'll, we'll take that from there. But my, my philosophy was I don't care about nickel. I don't care about inside. I don't care about outside. Get your best players in the field against good teams. That's my philosophy. Anyways, my question about that is, is Harold Perkins ready to step into that inside role? Has he refined what he needed to work on last year? which last year was, let's just, you know, let's put Harold Perkins where he is best and we'll work on being able to refine those inside linebacker skills. Is he there? Is he going to play inside? Are you going to get an opportunity where you're going to have your outside jack guy like B. Joe Gelari was last year and also keep Harold Perkins on the field, whether that's an inside linebacker position or, you know, if you have to nickel out, or you can drop him back to be a quarterback spy whenever you're playing a kind of a more 4-3 kind of defense. Um, so that's kind of my question is how much more versatile can Harold Perkins be? And in how many more roles can he be used on the inside? Has he worked on those things that Brian Kelly said needed to be worked on? And in what capacity? And I, I mean, Harold Perkins, with a guy like that that is so talented and has the ability to be so versatile, the the, you know, the possibilities are endless. And pairing him with such a creative defensive mind like Matt House, I, he has proven to be so creative defensively. I think that's a match made in heaven. And I'm excited to see the next steps that Harold Perkins, what I expect the next steps for him to take in his second year at LSU. But coming up next, it is a Mailbag Wednesday, so we'll get into your questions. I got some good ones this week, so excited to get to them. We'll get into those coming up next. All right, it's a Mailbag Wednesday. Let's get into it. So earlier this week, I broke down the new SEC scheduling, the 3-6 model with the three proposed opponents and LSUs being Texas A&M, Alabama, and Ole Miss. And I said, I'm totally cool with that. I love that. I love that LSU can play Alabama every year. That was my number one priority because I prioritize that rivalry and I prioritize that game every single year. I'd rather play Alabama than rather maybe a, a cupcake every single year. Um, and I got a lot of feedback on that. And one person DM'd a question in. And remember, I do a mailbag question or a mailbag Wednesday every single week. Send those questions in. DM on Twitter at Caroline Fenton one at Locked and LSU. Comment them below on the YouTube page. One person DM'd a question and said, well, how do you know that LSU schedule won't be significantly harder than every other team in the SECs with the new format, seeing as though they have to play Alabama every year? I don't know that. <laughs> I don't know that LSU's schedule won't be significantly harder than every other team in the SEC. But can I be completely honest? We've never been sure of that in the past. Let's look at the last 10 years in the SEC. There's never been parity within SEC scheduling because over the last 10 years, traditionally, the SEC West has been so much more of a powerhouse than the East has. In the East, it was really a two-headed monster between Georgia and Florida. Tennessee sucked. South Carolina for a good bit sucked. Kentucky sucked. Missouri sucked. Like, those were just like flat out bad teams. And the path to the SEC championship for Georgia and Florida ran through the other one. 
it, it ran through the world's largest cocktail party. In the West, you have Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, which for the most part of the last 10 years, Arkansas hasn't been incredibly competitive, but they definitely have gotten better under Sam Pittman. But there, it was so much more competitive in the West than it was the East. And we never complained about it because that's just how it was. Because that's just the way that this schedule fell, where the West was just significantly harder. And LSU's path to Atlanta was harder than Georgia's, or it was harder than Florida's. Because they had to play Alabama, because they had to play Auburn, and because they had to play Ole Miss, because they had to play Dak Prescott in Mississippi State. And those paths weren't easy. So no, I have no idea that LSU's schedule won't be significantly harder than other teams in the SEC. But what I do know is that every team in the SEC has an SEC schedule. And what we know about the SEC is an SEC schedule is never, quote unquote, easy. Yes, LSU has to play Alabama every single year. But there's also two other teams that have to play Alabama every single year. And there's also going to be six other teams in the SEC, aside from you and Auburn and Tennessee, that have to play Alabama in that given year. For just as many times as other schools in the SEC have to play Alabama, you also get to play Missouri or Vanderbilt or traditionally underperforming teams, or at least in recent history. So for as many, there's going to be more difficult games than there are easy games. That's a given. But that's also not something new to the new schedule. It's not going to be easy. It's just not. But it never really has been. It's never been an easy path. And we might look at Clemson, for example, and say, oh, my God, Clemson's schedule is a cakewalk. Of course, they're in the CFP. Their schedule is a cakewalk. You look at Georgia's schedule last year. I mean, like, let's be honest. Kent State on their schedule. I don't even remember. I don't have their schedule up in front of me. But, you know, it's not like Georgia necessarily went through a gauntlet. But then they got to the college football playoff and had to play one of the best teams in the country in Ohio State, and had to play one of the best teams in the country that bullied up on the other team that I thought was the best team in the country in Michigan. Of course, TCU looked a little bit out of place in the college football playoff championship. I'm not going to cap there. But, um, but my point being, not everyone has the same path to the CFP. Not everyone has an easy path to the CFP, LSU included. But also, like, if you're going to be one of the best teams in the country, you're going to be one of the best teams in the country. And you'll know if you're one of the best teams in the country because you're going to beat the best teams in the country. And if LSU can't beat Alabama and Ole Miss and Texas A&M, well, there you go. Then they're not one of the best teams in the country. And then you make changes and then you evolve and you go from there. It's not always guaranteed every single year. So I... It's going to be hard. Absolutely. It is going to be hard. LSU's out of conference schedule is going to be hard. They play Florida State next year. Everyone is taking their pants off for Florida State in the offseason. That's not going to be easy either. Um, But that's going to do it for me today. Thank you for making Lock and LSU your first listen every day. I plan to get to way more more questions than that, and I went way too long. Apologies. Get them in for next week. Love answering your questions. 
Thank you for making Locked in LSU your first listen every day. For your second listen, check out our brand new podcast, Locked on College Basketball. Experts Isaac Shade and Andy Patton bring you everything that you need to know on and off the court. Plus, you can hear from big name experts, coaches, and players for the college basketball landscape. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.